you find yourself at the Hurt Take. I am your host, Reese Dobigan. What's on the slate for this week? Well, there's still only one thing that we all want to talk about in the MMA community. And that one thing, of course, is UFC Rotterdam. Stefan Struve. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's still all about Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. The fight that commanded our attention for months. Then it happened. And so many people thought, you know what? It's happened. It's, it's over. We're moving on. We still haven't moved on. We still haven't moved on, people. Maybe we'll never move on. But the impact that that card has had is still being felt and will still be felt. The numbers coming out, the cultural impact it had, it will be interesting to see how we look back on that fight years from now. But one week out from that fight, or I guess really one and a half weeks, we're still talking about it. But we'll get to that later in the show. First things first, it's back to MMA. It is back to the sport that we all come here for this podcast for, that we all pay attention all day, every day for, the mixed martial arts. Yes, there was a UFC card this weekend. I do not hold it against you if you did not realize that. Stefan Struve did step into the cage in Rotterdam against Alexander Volkov. And he looked not great. Not great. He was finished. Volkov looked really great. These two tall guys, and they went at it. There were eye pokes back and forth. So Volkov won. Adds a bit of promise to the heavyweight division. Cool, cool, cool. Great. The heavyweight division can always use new blood. And for all you barbarians out there, all you savages... I think the fight ended up, uh, the card ended up with, what, eight finishes? That's pretty good. That's pretty good for all of us with bloodlust. So, that was alright. But, really the most important thing to talk about this week is not that card. It is the card coming up this weekend. UFC 215 in Edmonton, Alberta. Just up the road from me. I will most certainly be there. And I can't wait. A wonderful birthday present from my wife surprised me. Said, hey, guess what? You're going to UFC 215. So me and Mitch Bayless making the drive up to Edmonton. We'll catch it. This is sort of the bastard stepchild of the UFC calendar, unfortunately. The one that has to follow the prodigal son, Mayweather versus McGregor. There isn't a lot of talk about it. It is not commanding our attention. And it is the week of the card. Because Mayweather McGregor, the ripples from that are still being felt. We're still in the wake of this world-beating card. Not a lot is being talked about. But you have to think that the UFC kind of anticipated that. You have to think that based on the way that Dana White likes to talk smack about two of the headliners of this card... There might be a little bit of coincidence there. Just a little bit. 
Of course, this card is headlined by Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, the flyweight champion against Ray Borg, co-headlined by Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko for the bantamweight title of the world. Listen, this is a good card. This is a good, good card. It's not getting enough pub. Jeremy Stevens versus Gilbert Melendez. That's a nice scrap. Sarah McMahon is on this card. Henry Cejudo is on this card. Neil Magny versus Rafael Dos Anjos is on this card. This is a good night of fights. And it is not getting talked about enough. And that's too bad. That is too bad. But it's understandable. So that's why you're here. That's why you're here. You want to know what to pay attention to on this card. And it begins at the top. Because somehow, somehow, some way, we are not talking enough about history being made. I mean, Demetrius Johnson is looking to record his 11th title defense, which would pass Anderson Silva. And we are not talking about it enough. Demetrius Johnson has whooped 11 guys in title fights. Whooped them. He has rarely ever looked out of his element. And we're not talking about that. Demetrius Johnson is the best mixed martial artist on the planet who has not been busted for steroids or has not decided to go fight in boxing. Demetrius Johnson is an all-time great. He's a GOAT. And on Saturday night, he's likely to make history, and we're not talking about that. It's a shame. That's a shame. That is that is crazy. People, come on. Yes, he fights in the lightest men's division. I don't give a damn, man. Come on. I don't give a damn. He goes out there and he gets business done. He kicks ass. And if you are anybody just walking the street who has not spent some time in a gym who has not done some mixed martial arts training. I don't care how big you are. If you think that you could fight Demetrius Johnson and win, you are seriously delusional. Seriously delusional. Demetrius Johnson would whoop anyone's ass. And he's proven it. He's proven it by turning away Everybody that he's ever faced when he's had that strap around his waist. And on, on Saturday night, he's probably going to add to it. And here's, here's the thing that's the shame the most about this. I wish I could hype you more on this fight. I really wish I could, but there's a big issue. No one knows who Ray Borg is, his opponent. No one knows who he is. I do. I do. I mean, I pay attention to this stuff. That you know, That's what I love to do. I know who Ray Borg is, but... Most fans, most casual fans, don't know who Ray Borg is. 
Because this has been a trend in Demetrius Johnson's career. The UFC has failed to promote his opponents. You know, what, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it that nobody wants to watch the flyweights fight and so they don't promote them? Or is it that they don't promote them so no one wants to see the flyweights fight? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Nobody apparently wanted to watch the featherweights fight and then Conor McGregor came around. Nobody apparently wanted to watch women fight and then Ronda Rousey came around. No one apparently thought that, that women's MMA would survive without Ronda Rousey and Joanna and Jacek is carrying the torch. Listen. When you can promote, you can make anybody, anybody important if you just promote great fights. Listen to this. Ray Borg has appeared on the main card of four UFC events. Okay? Whatever. Not bad. Three of those were TV cards. Okay, you know, they tend to get some good eyes on them. But two of those cards, he was the first fight on an, an unusual six-fight main card. Normally, main cards are five fights. So he was on the, the first fight on a main card twice. There were six fights. It was the first of six. That's not a great spot to be in. The third time... He was on a main card. Was his one and only appearance on a pay-per-view, UFC 207. So, I mean, that's not a guy who's getting put in front of getting getting prime real estate. You know, he's getting buried. He's getting buried. The flyweights generally are. He has not been put in a great position to be marketed. To be pushed to fans, just like John Moraga, Ali Bagutinov, Kyoji Horaguchi, Chris Cariasso, and Wilson Hayes. People you still don't know who they are. You know, Ian McCall, people knew who he was because there was a built-in thing with their, it was the beginning of the division. You could really push those guys. You know, Joseph Benavidez had a name at bantamweight when he dropped down. You know, John Dodson won tough. Tim Elliott won tough. And, and those guys had some... Had something going for them, but the UFC still didn't feel like they needed to market them that much more. Okay, fine. So Demetrius Johnson has been fighting no-name people for largely his whole career. And what makes it even worse is that the guy who is in charge of promoting Demetrius Johnson, Mr. Dana White, who's supposed to be his biggest advocate, who's supposed to be saying, this is the fight you need to watch... Ray Borg is an animal, and Demetrius Johnson is one of the best, and this is going to be crazy. That guy, that guy crushes Demetrius Johnson in public. I mean, if my boss, if my boss said, to all of our clients, you know what? Reese is really shitty at his job. He's really shitty at his job. Do you think my clients would start taking me seriously or start taking advantage of me? Would they pay attention? Would they want to do business with me? No. 
They wouldn't. So the UFC and Dana White have largely not done Demetrius any favors. And this guy is unreal talented. He's tapped out Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts on the mat. He's knocked dudes out. He's finished fights. He's coasted to dominant decisions. He has beaten an Olympic wrestler in the clinch in that guy's greatest strength. He whooped Henry Cejudo's ass. Demetrius Johnson is unreal, and I am so excited to see him in action this Saturday. I can't wait. And you know what's actually funny? If you read some of the things he says, if you get, if you listen to any of his media calls, if you pay attention, if he had some of his quips thrown up as headlines, you would be so impressed. The guy is hilarious. The guy talks shit. For example, on the UFC 250 media call, he talked about what he, he's going to do after he breaks the record. Where does he go from here? He says, you know, 10 is an obstacle. 11 is an obstacle. 15 is fucking legendary. <laughs> the guy's got his sights set on 15 title defenses. He's focused on setting the record and then extending it as far as he can. For one, that's admirable in this day and age that he's he's just he's gonna stay in his division unless the super fight money is right, and he's just gonna clean house and he's gonna kick ass. That's fun to watch. He wants to set a record so high that it's inconceivable anyone could break it. You pay attention to the way this guy talks. Just look up some of Demetrius Johnson's quotes. The guy is hilarious. He is a great personality. I can't wait to see him fight this Saturday, I tell you what. Co-headlining on the same card is a rescheduled bout between Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko. Another fighter, Amanda Nunes, who Mr. Dana White has decided might as well throw her under the bus, might as well hurt her marketability, but hey, neither here nor there. Just the simple fact that we're talking about it is a sign that they're not promoting her right. This is the gal who sent Ronda Rousey into proper retirement. This is the gal who confirmed for us all that Ronda Rousey was a one-trick pony. Maybe we all resent her for dashing all our hopes. Not mine. But still, maybe there's a part of the fan base that doesn't want to see her fight because he hurt, she, she hurt little old Ronda. Nah. Dana White doesn't, seems to be in the opposite camp. He he give two shits, as is the normal case with Dana, right? He throws Amanda Nunes under the bus. Rather than backing up his champion and trying to rebuild her image and save any possible detractors who, who might think, you know what, I'm not going to watch UFC 215 because I don't like Amanda Nunes. She, she, you know, she wussed out of a fight. Dana White said so. Rather than trying to back up his champion, he threw her under the bus. And now we're talking about it. And so come UFC 215, that's going to be a question. As many people know, she she dropped out of UFC 213 when she was originally scheduled to fight Valentina Shevchenko due to a nasal issue. She said that she was sick, congested, and it was affecting her balance. Dana White promptly said, nah, she was past 
all the tests at the hospital. Nunez fired back and said, no, I wasn't tested for that. I was tested. I had a blood test. I was tested for essentially uh, weight cut issues, which she passed because she said she had none. So it's just the PR game back and forth. Now, they're going to fight on Saturday, finally. And this this is a great matchup. This is a great matchup. Valentina Shevchenko, I mean, I if she loses this fight, she very well might just drop down to 125, where she could be the champion of that new division, which they're deciding on the ultimate fighter this season, which no one's paying attention to, but whatever. That's another story. Shevchenko is that good. She could be a champion in a lower division, yet she dominates at 135, a division up, fighting against bigger challengers. This is going to be a good fight. And Amanda Nunes is exactly the kind of champion people like to throw their weight behind. She's an action fighter. She comes in and looks for the knockout. She's mean. She's nasty. She doesn't pace herself and sometimes she gasses. But hey, Conor McGregor doesn't pace himself sometimes and he gasses and guess what? We love him because he goes for broke. Amanda Nunes throws hands. She's tough. And the way that she matches up against Valentina Shevchenko will be very, very interesting. Very interesting. I'll be interested to see if Shevchenko kind of sits back like she normally does, if she coasts, if she tries to wait for Amanda Nunes to make a mistake and then kind of put, you know, because that I think that's a recipe for disaster if you just let Nunez kind of pick and choose where she wants to go. And yet, of course, we're going to talk about how she dropped out of UFC 213. I'm doing it now. I can't help it. We're going to ignore that UFC 213 was a snake-bitten card. Cerrone versus Lawler was supposed to be on that card. Garbrandt versus Dillashaw was supposed to be on that card. That card was effed. Okay, it was effed. And I think people reacted. I mean, once they lost that card, it, you know, Whitaker and Romero, once that fight went away, once that fight went away, the, what, you know, what, people, people fell out of love of it, with it. Sold 130,000 uh, 130, pay-per-views. That's, that's not good. And so Dana White throws Demetrius Johnson and Amanda Nunes on the same card together. And you can't help but think there's something there. Can't help it. But at the same time, I'm... I feel like they're just biding their time. They're post-McGregor right now, and now post-John Jones. I mean, they didn't put this card together when John Jones was, was, was popped, but they're trying to tread water. They're trying to put together cards that can sell. So they got to put together title fights. they got to put together, you know, what, what people they have at the moment to get to that next card, to get to that next McGregor card until a new big star emerges. And so we get this great card. Now, Neil Magny's on there against Rafael Dos Anjos. That is a great fight. That's a really great fight. I can't wait for that. Dos Anjos was apparently um, uh, a backup in case, you know, 
Tyron Woodley uh, and and uh, Dam- Damian Maya fight fell through. Dos Anjos was a backup plan apparently for that. So they the UFC thinks that he could be successful, really successful at welterweight. As a former lightweight champion, and listen, he has a really exciting style, a pressure style. He gets in guys' faces. He forces action. A lot of fun to watch. And Neil Magny is a guy who's been getting better and better with every fight. Uh, I believe he lost his most recent fight. But, you know, this is a guy who's a tough out for anybody. So this is going to be a very interesting fight. And like I mentioned elsewhere, you got Sarah McMahon. You got Henry Cejudo is on there. Demetrius Johnson's uh, former opponent. That guy is a good fighter. You got uh, uh, Latifi is on here. Ilar Latifi at light heavyweight. Literally the most stocky dude on that entire UFC roster. He looks like he's a, a brick shit house. He's a fire hydrant. Squat and muscular. That is going to be really interesting. So this is a good card. People tune in. Tune in and watch because it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Now I have to readdress something. I have to address something because yes, Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather is still being talked about. So we gotta still talk about it. So apparently people came away from my podcast last week with the distinct feeling that I had a decidedly negative view of this fight. So I'd like to take a moment. To restate my opinion in as few words as possible, which, of course, is impossible for me. I can never do something in just a few words. So the public view and the view from the media is that everyone came away from this fight ahead. The fight as they see it was about as ideal a situation as possible. I largely agree with this. For one, everyone made a significant amount of money. My only thing about that is Everyone making a significant amount of money does not make a difference to me. It doesn't make a difference in my life. Whether I paid, you paid, or we all paid to watch this thing does not mean, you know, I I loved that the fight was great. It means that they did good business. And good business only matters for the people who are involved who did the good business, the guys who profited. So great. You know, everybody won. They won in that sense. I agree. They did. I didn't see any of that money, so I'm not going to sit here and praise the world world over for it. So, no. For the fans, did we come out ahead? The popular opinion was, yes, we did. I largely agree with this. It was a longer fight. It had the ebb and flow that characterizes most entertaining fights, and it had a conclusive ending. Win, win, win. Great. Now, where I digress on the fight, is that I was disappointed that McGregor's promotion didn't really translate into his fight tactics. If you say you're going to knock someone out in four rounds and then you don't do anything different than any other boxer and you don't go for broke to knock him out in four, you know, as I expect from Conor McGregor, when he says something, he generally goes out there and he tries to do that thing. I'm going to knock someone out in one round. He goes out there and he knocks somebody out in one round. That's the whole Mystic Mac thing. He makes a promise and he comes through on it. So when he didn't go for broke in those first four rounds and just try and wipe Mayweather out, I was disappointed, of course. Even former uh, boxer Chris Eubank, who became somewhat of a mini-celebrity during the media week, said that would have been an effective tactic. He thought that that's what McGregor should do. So, yeah, I was a bit disappointed in that sense. I was hoping that McGregor would 
come out and try to give the fans what he said he would give the fans, a four-round knockout. If he, if, if he had tried that and lost, fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. I give him credit for that. But he didn't. Now, and this is where I digress from the norm again. I don't think McGregor, as a competitor, came away from this as ahead as his bank account comes out ahead. For McGregor, he comes away wealthy as a businessman, but not, you know, rich as a fighter. He lost. Arguing he lost in a boxing contest, you know, kind of ignores the point that he took a jaunt away from the sport he's a transcendent talent in. He, he, I don't feel he should have been in a boxing ring. I want to see him in an, in an octagon. That's where I want to see Conor McGregor do his business. That's where he's at his best. That's where... the. That This is like Michael Jordan playing baseball, hitting a home run in his first game or something, and then we pretty much, you know, he pretty much does exactly what you'd expect from Michael Jordan playing baseball. I felt like for McGregor, it was a wasted sporting opportunity. Doesn't mean he didn't come out ahead. Doesn't mean he doesn't come out of this looking good. It doesn't mean that, you know, he didn't show some things in there and look like he belonged in a boxing ring. He did all those things, but he still lost. He still lost, and he lost in a boxing ring when this could have been him once again looking amazing in an octagon. So, that's the way I felt about it. I think it came out perfect for the fans, for everybody. I just have a little bit of a different view on it. So, if you think I had a decidedly negative view on this fight after I said all this, I'd like to take this moment, okay, just to apologize to absolutely none of you. This is my podcast, and the host does what he wants. Uh, see? Come on. I love Connor. I channel Connor. I quote Connor. Love the guy. Doesn't mean that I'm going to give him credit for going 10 rounds and getting TK out, though, okay? Now, what does this mean for Connor McGregor? Uh, the options seem to be Nate Diaz 3, the winner of Tony Ferguson versus Kevin Lee. Uh, who are fighting for the interim lightweight belt at UFC 217, Khabib Nurmagomedov, possibly in Russia, uh, or a boxing match, uh, bo- boxing match sorry, with Pauly Maggs. You know, scheduling any of these fights uh, in Croke Park or a soccer stadium in the UK, as he said years ago he wanted to do, that's, that's open too. I think that's definitely an option. I am personally leaning towards Khabib, you know, listen, I think it would be a big fight. This is my personal opinion. I don't have any, you know, insider information. I mean, Connor has said, he said before the fight, and Dana White confirmed this before the Mayweather fight, that this is something he's wanted to do. So he said he's wanted to do it. And Mayweather and McGregor tends to be a guy who, who, you know, lives up to his word. If he wants to fight Khabib Nur- Nurmagomedov in Russia, and he said he wants to do that, you know, he tends to tends to go after those things. The sport is huge in Russia. It's supported by the commander-in-chief, Vladimir Putin. Khabib can talk shit and offers the kind of challenge that McGregor generally craves. So I think that would be a great fight. But the question over every one of these options, as always, is, you know, with McGregor, it's about the money. As my boy, Freeman, on The Wire says, follow the money. After making comfortably over $100 million in this fight, what does he do? You know, some people think, how can he come back after making all that money? Well, I think, I think Connor is a rational guy. Who in the world 
could he fight in MMA that would ever come close to the payday of, of Mayweather? Now, McGregor, in theory, could, could maybe build someone up to that point, but who, who's tracking right now that would come close to that number? You know, unless he throws out a curveball a la another Mayweather type of thing, of which I can't think of anything other than, you know, if he made a substantial jump in weight uh, in MMA or he went to a boxing match, I don't know who he could fight that would come close to that kind of payday. So, but I see him as being a rational guy. I think he recognizes that. He's going to take the fight that makes him the most amount of money. And if there's no fight out there that can make $100 million, well, he's going to take the fight that's going to make him the most amount of money otherwise. You know, I see him accepting a bigger pay cut, but leveraging that kind of loss in revenue with doing things the way he wants, asking for a share in the UFC, ownership share, co-promoting the fight, uh, his next fight under Mayweather, uh, under McGregor Promotions, pushing his own sponsors. Any other avenue that he can control, he will control. Because he will take less money in that next fight. But I think he's a rational guy, and he's going to do good business. I think he will come back. Now, here's something at a left field. I'm just going to throw this out there. What about the winner of Canelo Alvarez versus Triple G? I, listen, we all thought it was crazy that he would fight Floyd Mayweather. Who are the biggest stars in boxing still? Who would make him $100 million in the combat sports world? Maybe one of these guys. Definitely Canelo would come close. Could McGregor convince the world that he could fight two boxers considered the best in the world? Truly the best. Young, talented, very good. You know, Could he convince the world that he should fight those two guys again? After the way the Mayweather stuff came across, I think he could. I think he could convince a lot of people. And imagine the fireworks after all the shit Oscar De La Hoya talked. I would, that would be, ins, that would be insane to me. Don't think I would want to see it again, you know, another one of those, but hey, weirder things have happened. Well, a couple, a couple more things. We're going to touch on John Jones. The John Jones saga continues. Reports leaked that he had passed a day of test at UFC 214. Undoubtedly, the details reveal a bit more. So, of course, we know he popped for the, the weigh-in test for, uh, for Turnbull the day before the fight, and, and now news comes out that, that he passed a day of fight test. But when you look at the details a little bit closer, it's not that simple. USADA released a statement that clarified that the test he failed was a urine test, which tests for Turnbull what he failed for. The day of test was a blood test, which is, does not test for Turnbull. So really, the news that he 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 passed a day a, a post of a, a test the next day doesn't really matter because it wasn't testing for the thing he failed for. You know, it's it, it's like getting a ticket for going through a red light and then saying, "Yeah, but I I stopped at the next red light." Well, it doesn't matter. You went through the lap. You know what I mean? But of course, who could possibly benefit by a report like this coming out that Jones passed a test, any kind of test? 
John Jones's camp. So take this as an indicator that the PR battle has begun and Jones's team is trying to position themselves as best as they can that Jones is the victim of something nefarious, of some conspiracy, of a tainted supplement, whatever, but that he's not entirely guilty. You know who isn't buying that? Chael Sonnen! He suspects Jones was doped up when they fought in 2013. The gangster from West Lynn, Oregon. Of course, the, the pod ke- calling the kettle black. Sonnen, oh my gosh. I, I guess it's okay to, you know, call out other people when you... Anyways. Ridiculous. Last thing to sign off, viral video of the week. I want you to check this out, people. Remember Diego Brandao? We talked about Conor McGregor earlier. Diego Brandao was one of his earliest victims in the UFC. Diego Brandao has had a problem with being a bit fucking crazy. This past weekend, Diego Brandao lost his marbles at FNG73 in Kaipsk, Dagestan. I apologize to anyone who is from there, and I just pronounced the name wrong. He fought Ahmed Aliyev, and Aliyev took him down, was in his guard, and then headbutted Brandau in the chest. So what does Brandau do? He illegally upkicks him in the face, and then is so fed up about this whole thing, being headbutted, retaliating, kicking the guy in the face, he gets up and he hops over the cage and leaves. He returned later, but the referee had already said he had already called the fight. He said, you can't leave and then come back in. The fight's over. This video is hilarious. I encourage you to find it. It's on MMA Fighting. It is also on my Twitter feed, at R-D-O-W-B. So check it out. It is hilarious. I want to thank you once again for joining me on the Hurt Take the MMA podcast for the fans by the fans. I have been your host, Reese Dobigan. We'll see you for another round next week. Hopefully I'll have caught up on some sleep by then after UFC 215. Now I am